Mr. Squidward. Welcome to the night shift. Hello again, everybody, and happy Saturday night, and welcome in to the MI6 Sports Network's Late Night Sports Talk Show. That, of course, folks, is The Night Shift on our 14th episode on this Saturday night, October 24th, 2020. As usual, folks, joined alongside by my fellow Late Night Sports Talk Show host on the 6th, that is our good buddy Isaiah Leung from the Garage Studios up in Fremont, California. And yours truly, Cal McClurg, back here in the home studio in San Diego, taking yesterday off to kind of get myself back into game shape of some type for uh, playing outdoor roller hockey uh, here in Southern California with a bunch of my good friends and uh, things of that nature. But Isaiah, good to see you again, buddy. And uh, of course, man, welcome to Night Shift. How is things going? Welcome back, Callan. It's great to have you on the program once again. You know, yesterday I did a lot of talking on uh, No BS about how Minnesota was a fraud. And uh, I said that, hey, I guarantee you that Minnesota would not win this game. Um, I said that if they do win this game, that I would come on here and put on a Tanner Morgan goat shirt. And I'm just so glad that Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines, they bailed me out. I'm really really happy for that because man if i had to come on here with that tanner morgan goat shirt it would have been really really embarrassing so thank you so much to michigan for pulling that uh that win off but uh guys as you guys saw on my facebook timeline i teased uh, a lot of surprises on tonight's show i have i think three major surprises for y'all so make sure you guys keep uh, keep into the keep tuning in into the program because you don't know what surprises are going to pop up on tonight's program. But Callan, I have one surprise I got to reveal to our audience right now, and you That will have to wait, folks, as, of course, as you know very well, the MI6 Sports Network is the proud home of technical difficulties throughout the course of our program. But again, folks, as a reminder here, again, if you're a first-time viewer joining us here on the Late Night Program, again, the night shift here for our 14th episode. But again, folks, as a reminder, again, we try our best to come here every Tuesday, Saturday, and Sunday to recap your day of sports. And if you've been perhaps uh, maybe working on a Tuesday night or maybe perhaps uh, working on a Saturday or Sunday, kind of getting some of your work done before a new week begins or your day is over with and you've not had a chance to check your phone or get caught up on news and scores. We try our best to bring you a Cliff Notes version of your sports day every Tuesday, Saturday, and Sunday at 10 o'clock Pacific time every single Tuesday, Saturday, and Sunday right here on the MI6 Sports. And we're going to again, folks, we'll have Isaiah Young back with us here shortly. But as usual, folks, we again are sadly still right now stuck with technical, uh, technical difficulties and we've been trying our best to get these worked out. And again, folks, we again will sincerely say thank you again for those of you for once again uh, hanging in there and again uh, bearing with us as again we've been dealing with a lot of these problems over the past several uh, programs here at this juncture. I'll go into the chat box real quick, folks. Again, uh, uh, as usual, folks, uh, your opinions, your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns. Uh, again, hot takes or cold takes, whatever you got, folks, if you uh, want us to, again, 
Uh, perhaps give you a shout out on the air again, right in the comment box and live via the MI6 uh, Facebook page or, of course, live via my personal timeline or also we're also live via YouTube as well here today. But of course, folks, we'll get into the chat box real quick and say hello real quick to our good buddy, Angel Berrigan Jr. Just saying hello, everyone, and also to our great friend, Shardal Gupta. I'll start again saying hello, Cal, and of course, Shardal. Thank you, as always, man, for writing in, and also to Angel again. He says, thanks, Callan. I'm having San Diego Barracudas flashbacks. I, sadly, Angel, was not able to see the Barracudas play those three years, and they were in the uh, R uh, the RHI, but had a lot of uh, friends of mine that I now call friends who I was big fans of when they were with the uh, West Coast Hockey League San Diego Gulls at that time, notably Mark Stipp, Mark Wolf, uh, John Spoltor, uh, who played uh, Brad Bellin, of course, as well. Shout out to Brad. He's been a big... Uh, Big uh, supporter of me and my career, and of course, played for the Gulls for a long time in the WCHL days. So, Angel, I'm glad I could bring you some Barracuda throwbacks for San Diego again, the old uh, um, roller hockey international league. Uh, with that, folks, we do have uh, Isaiah back after again his uh, time stuck in uh, technical problems. Isaiah, we'll go back to you with what you were saying about surprises on this program. Yes, I had I teased on Facebook that I had a bunch of surprises for the no or for the the night shift fam and ladies and gentlemen here's one of our surprises you know my guy Stephen Wang has been gloating for the past year about how Minnesota is so good and stuff and I, you know I you know countered back saying Minnesota is a fraud and stuff like that so ladies and gentlemen here is one of our surprises Callan can you give me a three two one countdown please sir three two one Sunk the boat, sunk the boat, Minnesota sucks. Thank you to Michigan for putting them in their place. Hey, sunk the boat, sunk the boat, Harbaugh sunk the boat. Thank you to Michigan for sinking the boat. That's for you, Golden Gophers fans. The boat has been sunk. At least for week one, it's been sunk for the Big Ten. But again, folks, plenty of baseball or plenty of football, I should say. But of course, folks, we will start, though, with the immaculate ending. That was game four of the 2020 World Series. And probably, folks, that I put out on the web, though, in my 22 years of watching, playing, or announcing baseball, folks, I have never, never seen a more... Insane finish to a baseball game at any point, regular season, spring training, regular season, postseason, World Series. But the Tampa Bay Rays, in part thanks to what I am still believing is a two-air play uh, between, uh, by Chris Taylor and Will Smith, somehow, some way, win game four, eight, seven, in a big-time punch-counter-punch ball game. Isaiah, I don't know where to start, man, other than everyone that is a baseball fan absolutely losing their minds with how this game went. Again, though, uh, Dodgers go ahead, though. The Rays come back, you know. Again, like I said, they'll punch, counterpunch. But as but as mentioned, though, folks, again, we lost Isaiah again due to, again, those technical problems. But again, folks, like I said, though, in my 22-year career, or 22 years, I should say, of either playing baseball, watching games religiously, or announcing games, I've seen a lot. I've seen walk-off grand slams. I've seen walk-off walks, walk-off uh, base hits walk-off box, game-tying box. And, you, you know, you, you I think folks that you have seen a lot, if you've been a baseball fan, you've seen a lot of weird things, you know, in regards to uh, grand slams, as mentioned, or in regards to things, though, that make baseball so intriguing. 
But in this game, though, the night, folks, where you saw as we had already kind of touched base on, but again, the Dodgers go up early, the Rays come back, L.A. goes back in front, the Rays go in front, the Dodgers tie, the Rays tie. And again, though, just like a great boxing match or a great prize fight, punch, counter punch, you know, no one really is able to really, you know, throw that big knockout punch yet. But then, though, folks, it boils down to the ninth inning of this game, though. With the uh, with LA on top, 7-6, and of course, Kenley Jansen comes into the ballgame. Leadoff guy gets on, then an out-out, and then another walk is issued. You have first and second, and Brett Phillips comes up to the plate. Had been dealt away from the Royals early in the year to Tampa Bay. Probably had not had a, had not, had not had a lot of success in his time playing there. Fights off a couple pitches, you know, uh, you know, sees the uh, sea strike one. Then, in a way, though, gets sawed off, breaks his bat, and is able to get enough on it to have it fall in between the shift. Now, as a as a quick flashback here, though, but we had a similar play though where Kike Hernandez just barely missed a sensational diving catch in the shift to keep the Rays off the scoreboard, or at least you know. Uh, keep it where it is. I said we'll get to you in just a second here, but if you can just hang tight here at this time. But more so again, folks, kind of resetting again. But you have that one base that beats the shift once. Then you see Phillips's base that again out of the reach of the shift. But more than anything else, though, you know the time run's going to score on the play, though. But Chris Taylor picks his head up a wee bit too early, fumbles the ball. That brings him a time run, regardless of what happens in my mind. But then Randy Azarina is flying around the base paths and sadly becomes Daniel Jones 2.0, tripping over his own feet about halfway down the baseline. Taylor makes a great relay throw to Max Muncy, but Muncy's throw was way offline. And he was maybe 25, maybe 30 feet, maybe away from Will Smith, the catcher. Smith, though, was way too aggressive or just kind of in a way took his eye off the ball for a moment. The ball gets by him through the umpire and all the way to the screen to bring in Azarina, who practically bear-crawled home to win the ball game for Tampa Bay. And you know, Isaiah, like I said, though, buddy, in my 22 years of watching baseball, I have not seen a more insane finish to a game. We've seen so many times, though, Isaiah, where guys are flying around the base paths. But, Sally, though, they happen to lose their footing, and they become like an internet sensation, or their teammates will troll them by taping out a uh like taping out a uh, like taping out with the athletic tape where they landed and what it looked like when they fell and stuff like that though but this time though it works though man where as arena comes in to score but more so isaiah on two bizarre errors and i think to make things even worse for dodger fans i think i saw something here from sny in new york those errors come on the same date 1986 of the infamous Bill Buckner ball between the legs air that blew the game for Boston against the Mets in 86. So Isaiah, a lot to unpack from this game, man, but give us your thoughts first, though, more so on the game. We'll talk more about that game winning play for the race though, momentarily, but Isaiah, your thoughts on the game before we get to the actual play itself. My thoughts on this game is that the Tampa Bay Rays are going to win the World Series. I said, I posted this on Facebook, I think it was during the game, when it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The Dodgers, they had a 4-2 lead, and then Brandon Lowe uh, does works his magic again and hits a three-run homer to put the Rays ahead of the Dodgers 5-4, to four, and then the Dodgers 
Jock Peterson with a two-run single that gets off the glove of the race second baseman, puts the Dodgers back in front, uh, no, six to five. Yeah, six to five. And then uh, Kevin Kiermeyer with a solo homer to tie the game. And then Corey Seager with his, uh, like, just and and like just boinks or yeah just like dunks a single into left field to give the Dodgers back the lead it was just back and forth back and forth back and forth it was in a it was a roller coaster of a game and I just said this I said the Dodger or whoever wins this game or whoever loses this game my apologies whoever loses this game will end up losing the World Series because I do not believe that they will be able to bounce back from the emotional toe of this loss, because you guys know how sports work. You know, a team that wins this type of game, like they're like they're on an emotional high for the next several games. That's going to lead them to victories. While the team that loses this type of game, this hits harder than your ordinary loss. So I think that for the Dodgers, um, this is. One of, this is a very bitter loss for them. Uh, I can imagine that it hurts even more than an ordinary loss. And I just don't see the Dodgers bouncing back from the devastating emotional toe from this loss. Isaiah, I would agree in regards to the emotional state because, you know, this game had everything you wanted in it in regards to leads. Uh, going away, guys not executing situations and, th and things like that, though. I think it's a better story. I mean, at least with the series, because we had talked about Isaiah earlier on last week, though, that game one had record low viewership because of, uh, again, maybe that lack of another market, uh, major market like a New York, for example, or Houston, playing against the Dodgers. Again, the L.A. market being as huge as it is, though. But then, though, you see the beauty, though, Isaiah, of baseball with, First of all, man, we'll go first about this. I wanted to pull up the uh, box score for this game real quick, but more so Isaiah. Brett Phillips comes into this game, buddy, as a pinch runner for first baseman G-Man Choi, who, again, has been hitting the ball well, played some great defense, but, again, needed some speed out there in when they had a good chance back in the seventh, I think, or the eighth to tie the game, and Hunter Renfro uh, popped out to win that inning to, to right field, though. But then, Isaiah, Brett Phillips has not really had a lot of playing time. He's been on the roster, hasn't done a whole lot, though, and probably, man, his biggest at-bat of his young MLB career, man, is a game-winning hit to win the game, Isaiah. I mean, we always talk about this game being loony at times, and then it's being – and it's wonderful at times. But, Isaiah, how do you think Brett Phillips probably sleeps tonight after that uh, big hit he had? Probably the first big hit of his uh, young and brief major league career. Callan, to be honest with you, I don't think he sleeps at all because I think that he will be on a uh, – a, a very emotional high after this game. I mean, this guy coming into like his at bat in the bottom of the ninth inning, this guy, I think he only had two plate appearances in this entire postseason. He was 0 for 2 with two strikeouts. Kevin Kiermeyer said this after the game to Ken Rosenthal that uh, Brett Phillips was primarily into the game to be a pinch runner and a defensive substitution. That's why he was on the roster for his defense and his base running. He wasn't on the roster for his bat. You know, he didn't do anything in Kansas City. 
Uh, so I didn't really expect him to do anything when he came to the play. That's why I was like, oh, crap. The Dodgers are probably going to win this game because Brett Phillips isn't really um, a threat from the plate. And this guy proved me wrong. One-two pitch. He gets um, – he chokes up on the bat and lines a base hit into right field. And then all the um, – the, the, like the – like the the magical stuff happens in the end, so it's it's really great to see how how baseball works, man. That's why baseball honestly is my favorite sport because it's just magical. Like there's a lot of there's something magic about baseball. Now Isaiah, I'm trying to pull up the box score on my iPad via MLB.com. Now per the box, now per the actual line score, folks. Now again. This is a play, Isaiah, that I believe is going to have to be changed because uh, per the actual box score on MLB.com, they are ruling the game-winning play as, for one, a base hit for Phillips. So he gets a single for it, uh, which brings in a run to tie the game. So it's officially ruled right now on the website. The play description, folks, is this. Brett Phillips singles on line drive to right fielder Mookie Betts. That has got to be wrong. Kiermaier scores. Randy um, Arozarena scores. Fielding error by Chris Taylor. Now, Isaiah, this play, though, man, like I said, though, is probably one of the more loonier endings I've seen in a baseball game or something I've seen in my 22 years of watching this game. Isaiah, I believe, though, that this has got that this scoring decision has got to be reviewed and changed because I would think it's more so a base hit to Taylor, air by Taylor, and then a air on Will Smith. I would perhaps also think maybe the air could have been charged to Muncie for the throw, but it's got to be an air on Will Smith. That ball has got to be yep. caught, that throw to the plate. I know it's not the best throw in the world, but you've got to make that catch in some capacity. But I think, though, that rightfully so, the one air is right on Taylor, but I think, Isaiah, there's got to be another air, though, added either on Muncie or more so in my mind, on Smith for not catching that ball. So, Isaiah, about this play, though, man, what do you take away from it more so than anything else in regards to how it scored, though, but more so, why does this play in your mind probably spell doom maybe for L.A. Uh, and, you know, maybe some doom and gloom for the Dodgers in your mind? Because for me, this play looked like the Dodgers cracked under the pressure. They looked ahead. You know, we all knew that um, – who was the runner at second, Callan? Was it uh, – it was – Kiermaier. It wasn't – Kiermaier, right. Kiermaier, we knew when um, Brett Phillips lined that base hit into right field, we knew he was going to score because Kiermaier is fast, and normally on a single, the runner from second always scores. So we knew that he was going to score, plus Chris Taylor doesn't have that good of an arm. So we knew that Chris uh, Kevin Kiermaier was going to score. But Chris Taylor decided, I guess he wanted to throw him out or something like that. So he panicked and then he took his, like, he panicked and he bobbles the ball in right field. That was the one of the big problems. And then the second issue that I have is something that I commented on my guy Jonathan Mathis's post on Facebook when he was blaming Kenley Jansen. I said, you can't be blaming Kenley Jansen. Kenley Jansen actually pitched a pretty good inning in the ninth inning. That pitch that Brett Phillips hit, it wasn't a mistake pitch. It was a pretty good pitch that Brett Phillips just happened to uh, hit it into right field. You got to blame Will Smith for that. That play, I guarantee you Will Smith makes 99 out of 100 
times in his like in his time as a catcher. There is no way that Will Smith has got to be looking ahead. He takes his eyes off the ball and he just plain out misses the throw by Max Muncy, which allows the runner to score. If if you don't panic, if you be calm, if you don't take your eye off the ball and you secure the catch, you will easily be able to tag out Azarena but because he slipped. But instead, Will Smith misses the ball. Azarena is able to score, and that's your ball game. Now, Isaiah, the player side of me is going to come out now as opposed to the uh, media member and analyst, again, playing the sport as long as I did. But with that, Isaiah, in regards to this play, though, man, for – I'll say first and foremost, do not blame Kenley Jansen. Jansen even said after the game, both ball, both the hits he gave up, folks, they were not that hard hit. They were just they just happened to find holes in that overshifted Dodger defense. So I'm not going to blame Jansen for this, for him losing the game. I think we should all take a deep breath and say it's got to fall in my mind on the defensive woes on that final play, but also. The only thing, though, Isaiah, that gents, that Kenley Jansen will get scrutinized for by me as a former player is the one cardinal rule you do as a pitcher. You back up your bases. And Jansen stood there in the middle of nowhere in between the mound and home plate because he thought that, you know, the throw was going to be perfect from Muncie to get as arena and the inning would be over. However, you can't assume that that throw is going to be good, you know, and but even at the same time, though, you got to back up your bases. And I think that more so that's the only downfall on Jansen in my mind, Isaiah, is you got to back up the plate. Because if he backs at the plate, Azarina probably still doesn't score. Because yep. if anything, Jansen's back there to back up the throw, go to home plate, you have the out, though. At the same time, though, that's the only thing I think, folks, that could only be pinned against Jansen. Both the hits he gave up, they weren't even hard enough contact. They happened to get by a diving Kike Hernandez who almost made a sensational play to either end the ball game or at least get out number two. But at the same time, though, the error or errors, I think it still should be, honestly, an error on Taylor than an error on Smith in my book if I was keeping score. But, though, the only blame that you can cast in my mind, folks, on Jansen is not backing up home plate. Isaiah, what more do you take away? Do you agree, though, that perhaps so that if there's if there is any blame to be cast on Jansen, it's him not doing what pitchers are supposed to do, and that is to, of course, back up your bases. Yeah, I agree with you. I think small blame has to be pinned on Kenley Jansen because you have to be able to back up the play. Like you said, Callan, if Kenley Jansen is able to back up that throw, he will be able to get it and tag out home plate, and this game will probably still be going on right now. Uh, but instead, we're here doing the night shift, talking about how the Dodgers blew this game. But I just believe, you know, I think a lot of the blame is going to definitely be on uh, Chris Taylor um, and also Will Smith. But I think the uh, blame has got to be uh, on Will Smith, like more so than Chris Taylor, because you got to catch that ball. Like I know that throw wasn't perfect, but if Will Smith keep, keeps his eye on the ball, he secures the ball, he tags out Azarena, and this game is still going on. So I just like Will Smith looked ahead, man. Um, and that's why the Dodgers and Rays are now tied in this series. So with that, folks, if you're casting blame out there, again, rightfully so, though, if you're a Dodger fan or just in general, if you're just a, a casual viewer tuning in again, if uh, in your mind, who gets blamed for the uh, loss tonight for the Dodgers? 
Uh, let us know. We'll read some of those comments as they, in fact, uh, trickle in. With that, Isaiah, some comments about the ball game. First and foremost, though, Angel writing it about the old West Coast Hockey League goals. I have very great memories of, the, of those guys, Angel. Uh, Isaiah, he also says real quick, he's, uh, he did not know that Al from Angels in the outfield got dealt to the race from the California Angels. I definitely agree with some of the uh, buffoonery going on there. And also Angel says, wow, just wow. Everyone will be talking about that game for a long time. This is also why I like the baseball playoffs. Unlike the NBA and NFL, any team can win the World Series. Also, just tuning in real quick is our buddy Casey King. Hello, guys. Just pathetic ending. And once again, Dave Roberts mishandles the bullpen. Should have let uh, Julio, uh, Julio Urias finish off the inning that he took him out of. Again, Isaiah, I don't know, man, but this just seems to me, again, of another mismanaged ball game by Dave Roberts. Um. I, yeah, I mean, are, we, are you guys talking about the – like him taking out Urias in what the fourth inning and going right to Blake Trident. Yeah, I think he should have let Urias finish the fourth inning because listen, I'm an A's fan and Blake Trident pitched for us uh, last year and he wasn't good at all. He was giving up home runs left and right. This guy is very, very shaky. Um, I don't know what has happened to him ever since this historic 2018 uh, performance, but. You should not trust Blake Trinan in a crucial situation. This guy, I know it may seem harsh, but Blake Trinan needs to only come in when the Dodgers are either up big or down big. You cannot trust him in crucial crucial situations. And I don't know why Dave Roberts has not learned his lesson yet from the many times that Blake Trinan has consistently blown games. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like I said, you know, and Isaiah, I've been a firm believer in that, though, throughout the postseason. I would I would not touch Trinant or Jansen with a 10-foot pole. I still would not do so, and I still don't get why they keep going to the well. And I think a lot of people that are Dodge fans would agree, though. It's like, unless we're up by a gazillion, don't bring those guys in to the ball game. Angel also says that the final play brought back memories of the 92 season for him. And also, Angel says that the Dodgers do end up losing. Don't be surprised if Roberts is canned. We all have kind of come to that conclusion. But also, Casey agrees, though, with us, Isaiah. He says that Roberts should have gone to Gonzalez in the sixth, not Trinan and Baez. Then he left Baez in for two on. Again, Baez gave up the, uh, excuse me, folks, the a game-tying homer uh, to Kevin Kiermeyer back. That made it a 6-6 tie. And also, Angel says, uh, I blame Dave Roberts. He took out Julio Urias. When he was doing good, left Pedro Baez uh, in too long. And also Will Smith, he froze instead of getting the ball. I definitely agree, Angel, on that play that you're referring to again, folks. The Rays win game four of the World Series in very weird fashion. Again, on perhaps two errors on one play to lose the ball game. Again, Tampa Bay wins eight to seven uh, with a uh, two-run comeback in the uh, bottom half of the ninth inning. This is all spurred on, folks, by a game-winning base hit and error. Uh, from the bat of pinch runner at the time, Brett Phillips, who came in for G-Man Choi. But a error in the outfield by Chris Taylor and perhaps a uh, fielding error, too, as well by uh, catcher Will Smith gives the Rays a 8-7 uh, victory. Uh, that is what uh, Angel is referring to, though, is that I agree, though, Angel, that Smith definitely, for, like, he didn't know where the, well, for one, he didn't know where the ball was in my mind. But also, I would think, though, that I think he also froze, though, as well, Angel, 
because I think that he was probably thinking, well, hey, Kenley's behind me backing up the play, though. But as I said, though, again, that is the one thing as a pitcher you absolutely have got to do with runners on scoring position, that with runners on base is back up the next base. You always have to be thinking two bases ahead of the guy of a, of the base runner with, you know, example guy on first, I'm going to go back up third, you know, and vice versa, you know, back up second when you're already there, if the guy's going to perhaps have a double, but I agree though, that I think angel it's a, sadly, it's a bad mental lapse by Will Smith at the absolute worst possible time. That's why though, angel, I put a bit of blame on Kenley Jansen because as a pitcher, you have got to know better. You cannot be a man on an Island and not back up a base, you know, even as when I played second base, for example, Angel, I would back up first on a bad throw from the catcher on a strikeout that was dropped, uh, back up the throws from uh, from the catcher back to the mound anytime uh, with guys on base or not, and just kind of get in that habit, though. But as a pitcher, it's magnified in my mind because you have got to be that guy thinking one step ahead of the base runner if there's a guy on base, though. So I think that, that the only blame in my mind, this may not say well with Dodger fans out there, but the only blame I would cast if I was even a Dodger fan, which I'm not, but as an outsider, I only put the blame, I only put the not backing up the base blame on Jansen. You cannot be a man on, on your own or on an island and not be somewhere and not backing up either third, backing up second, backing up, or especially more so backing up the plate in that particular situation. I definitely agree with uh, Angel, and I think you probably, folks, if you're a baseball fan, agree with with uh, my sentiments as well. If uh, if so, if so, if not, if not, let us know. And again, we more so, folks, again, want to know who in your mind gets the blame for the Dodgers losing game four. Uh, in your mind, is it on Chris Taylor, Will Smith, Dave Roberts, Kenley Jansen, uh, the whole ball club? Let us know, folks. We'll again do our best to make sure that those uh, the uh, comments are, in fact, read on the course of the program. Uh, some more thoughts here. Uh, by the way, folks, again, we are, again, without Isaiah, again, due to, again, technical difficulties. So uh, keep those comments coming, and we'll do our best to read those here. Kind of keep, uh, let's kind of keep this dialogue going, folks. We'll get to some of the college football games momentarily. But again, for right now, let's kind of keep talking some baseball here. So keep uh, firing away, folks, with your thoughts. Uh, Austin Morrison, again, one of our loyal viewers on the Six's Facebook page, he says, Callan definitely agree, or he says, Callan Jansen totally forgot to back up home plate on that play. At the end, which is why I said, though, Austin, to your point, though, bud, great, uh, you know, great uh, pickup there is that, like I said, though, pitchers cannot be got, you know, pitchers cannot be men on islands and by themselves. And again, I, I think on the play, though, Jansen was kind of in a way like going that route, Austin, but wasn't fully behind home plate. He was kind of like maybe I'd say a good 15 or 20 feet in between the mound and home plate. But that's why I think, though, to Angel's point, though, Austin, you probably agree, though, bud. But to Angel's point, though, it's why I think Will Smith froze for a moment because he probably thought or at least anticipated that his pitcher was back there to back up the play, though. But sadly, was not the case, though. And again, the Rays win the ball game 8-7. to seven. And again, a very, very interesting finish for this ball game. And also, uh, Isaiah Angel agrees, by the way, with my point. That's the only thing I blame Jansen for. But other than that, he did good tonight. But again, Isaiah more so. I kind of think, though, but sadly, there's been a lot of blame um, you know, cast on Kenley Jansen. But I think, though, man, this is probably the only time, though, I'd say this, though, Isaiah, the blame is not solely on Jansen, in my mind, because, as mentioned, you know, you, you probably have to look at the air, the air, or in my mind, I'm still going to say it, though, but the errors on that play, because I really think, though, that honestly, Isaiah, there's got to be an error charge to Will Smith for, again, dropping that throw. But, again, Isaiah, where do you probably stand, just uh, as a reiteration, again, where do you stand on maybe 
that final play for the Dodgers losing this ball game in very, you know, very, very weird fashion tonight. Well, I know we have a lot of Dodger fans that are watching this program and they probably won't like what's about to come out of my mouth. And that is, I believe that the Dodgers unfortunately won't be able to bounce back from this because the emotional toe of such a devastating loss like this is very, very, very hard to bounce back from. So I think that the Rays will probably win this World Series. Um, I'm hoping the Dodgers win it because, you know, Dave Roberts is a good guy. And, you know, I love Clayton Kershaw. I think he's a future. He's definitely a future Hall of Famer. And I just really want to see that ring on his resume. But I think the Tampa Bay Rays will win this World Series because it's just too devastating of a loss to bounce back from. I hope I'm wrong, though. But um, I think that if you're looking at this play, um, I think that the I think you probably have to cast uh 75 percent on of the blame on uh will smith because he missed that throw and he took his eye off that ball because if he doesn't take his eye off the ball and he secures it i think he definitely he makes that catch and tags out the runner and we're still going chris taylor uh i'll probably give him about 20 percent uh of the blame and then i would probably say like 10 percent goes to kenley jansen for not blocking the plate uh, in this game. So again, folks, give us your thoughts here again, as mentioned, a very weird game, but if you're a baseball fan, whether you're rooting for the Dodgers or not, I think you want the series to kind of go on a bit longer because we've been so starved for baseball, but again, in a very weird finish folks, again, the Rays over LA eight, seven to tie the world series up at two games apiece, again on a very, very blunder filled final uh, play of the game. As mentioned, a Brett Phillips single an air by Chris Taylor and a possible air by Will Smith cost the game. For the Dodgers in uh, this uh, game, again, for game four. And real quick, Isaiah Angel agrees with you in regards to your thoughts, though. He agrees. Look at what happened to the 86 Angels, the 86 Red Sox, and the 03 Cubs, where one it, big play sent them packing after they lost a pretty big game in regards to, again, the Angels and the Dave Henderson home run against the Red Sox. Donnie Moore, one strike away from the World Series. They lose that series. Of course, the Red Sox losing on the Bill Buckner blunder. And, of course, the 03 Cubs with Steve Bartman. So, I think Angel, onto a very valid point, though, for sure. Choke theory. Choke theory, indeed. And also, again, Isaiah, you know, and I think, though, as well, though, I think, though, that Casey is right, though, man. There still has got to be some blame, though, in my mind, cast on Dave Roberts. Because it just seems like, though, man, if anyone on this Dodger ball club, more so than Kershaw and Jansen, crumple under pressure, Isaiah, it's got to be Dave Roberts. And you know and you know, with every loss or every passing game, that managerial seat is getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter by the hour, minute, and second as the clock ticks away. Isaiah, we'll let you add on about Dave Roberts and your thoughts about his future maybe as the series plays out. All right. I just want to make one correction. I said that earlier. Um, I did my math wrong. I said I was going to give 75% of the blame to Will Smith. And then I said 20 to, uh, to Chris Taylor. And I believe I said 10 to uh, Kenley Jansen. It's actually 5% to Kenley Jansen, not 10%, because then that would be 105%, something that doesn't exist. Uh, so, But in terms of Dave Roberts, I think that one of the big moves that I really – question was Dave Roberts uh, not keeping Brustar Gratterall. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but Brustar Gratterall. 
Yeah, Brustar Gratterall got the final out in the eighth inning. He was throwing a hundred. He was throwing like ninety-seven to a hundred. Hitters just couldn't catch up. I thought he should have kept in Brustar Gratterall instead of. Kenley Jansen for the ninth inning simply because I just think that, you know, the race hitters in the ninth inning would not be able to catch up to any of the pitches that Gratterall was throwing with his electric stuff compared to the soft stuff that Kenley Jansen now throws. So, uh, and also once more again, though, Isaiah, but Angel again agrees with you. Uh, plain and simple, Roberts is trigger happy when it comes to pitchers and also Austin Morrison writes in again, of course, Austin, thanks again, man, for all the great points. He says, I agree on the point about Will Smith fellows always, you uh, always have to watch the ball into your glove to apply a tag or make the play. And I think that Austin, I think though that goes a bit further in my mind with Chris Taylor to Isaiah's point or to your point as well, bud Taylor kind of took a quick little peek up as the ball was yeah. bouncing toward him and it kind of kicked off the edge of his glove and rolled away from him. So I think that it's a valid point for both Smith and also Chris Taylor, and also my man Espen agrees. Names, super hard. But again, Bruce Starr, Gratterall, throwing very well again for the Dodgers. But again, pulled out perhaps early due to, again, matchups being done by the Dodgers here today. With that, Isaiah will move away from, again, the very weird and, again, a very loony finish to talk some college football. Uh, with that, Isaiah, the opening week of the Big Ten came on Thursday with, of course, the Wisconsin Badgers plastering Illinois to the wall 45-7. With that, Isaiah, the first game of the day we'll get to today was Ohio State taking on Nebraska from an empty shoe in Columbus. A very close game, Isaiah, at the half, though. However, the Buckeyes run wild, and, of course, Nebraska with self-inflicted wounds gets blown out, sadly, 52-17 with also, as well, Isaiah, news coming out after the game was over. Uh, Brian Day actually apologizing to, uh, to Scott Frost for that late touchdown uh, due to, again, some of the uh, younger players coming in and not knowing the situation and stuff like that and proper etiquette, perhaps, too, in a game like that. But Isaiah, with that in mind, though, man, for Nebraska, at least, kept it, keeping this close, though, but still a man getting blown out by a very good Justin Fields and a very good Ohio State team. Uh, Isaiah, good for a half for the Huskers, but Sally, though, man, the Buckeyes rolled them in the second half, though. Give us your thoughts about opening day for Nebraska and the Ohio State University. Believe it or not, I was more impressed with Nebraska in this game than Ohio State. Nebraska in their half, when they kept it close with Ohio State, they really impressed me. You know, Adrian Martinez did really well in that first half. Scott Frost's uh, up-tempo, no-huddle spread offense that he learned from Chip Kelly in Oregon seemed to be uh, taken up to another level. And it seemed that the players were getting comfortable with it. And it seemed to be working really smoothly in that first half. But unfortunately, you know, against a very, very talented Ohio State team that has five-star recruits all over the place, you cannot make any mistakes if you want to win this game. Because if you want to beat Ohio State, you have to play a perfect game. And you have to hope that Ohio State makes like three to four mistakes if you want to win that game. And if you make mistakes, they're going to capitalize. And that's what the Buckeyes did. And that's why Ohio State is 1-0 and Nebraska is 0-1. But I really like what I did see from Nebraska today. I think they will be a sleeper team in the Big Ten like I predicted yesterday on no BS. I think they will get to a bowl game this year and take that, like, take that next step uh, in their rebuild under Scott Frost. And I think that would be good for them. Isaiah, what do you make about Ryan Day kind of in a way apologizing post game? I know, of course, that uh, college sports are way different than the pros, though. 
but kind of in a way citing like, hey, we had some of the young kids in there. They probably didn't know what the situation was. They did. They just didn't, you know, execute the game plan, though. Uh, do you feel like it's right, though, for college coaches to apologize in a situation like that? Or is it kind of like, you know, hey, it happened, so what? Uh, yeah, you know, I thought that he should have apologized because um, I think that, like, not taking a knee and deciding to – Go for it. Go for the touchdown when you're up 52 to 17 in the waning seconds of that ball game. I thought that was just uh, a little too over the top and kind of classless on Ohio State's part. Um, you know, if it, if it was like 52 to 17 with five minutes left in the ball game and you go like score a touchdown, I have no problem with that. But it's in the waning seconds of the game. Nebraska has no timeouts left. Just take the knee and take your win and, you know, go back to the locker room and, you know, all and then all is said and done. But, hey, I, I'm glad that Ryan Day apologized. Now, Isaiah, one thing, though, about this Nebraska game against uh, Ohio State, though, man, and I think, though, across all the games I watched on Saturday, Isaiah, and you and I actually shared this on Twitter, actually, I think opening week of the year, though. But Isaiah, I think, you know, I'm a big fan of Gus Johnson. I I, I loved Gus Johnson, probably one of my favorite uh, college football announcers right now, along with Chris Fowler of ESPN. But Isaiah, you and I both had talked about this on Twitter earlier in the season, though. But mainly in this ball game, and mainly in all the games I watched on Saturday, the amount of targeting calls that have been called, though, over the past several weeks, more so today, I think. I think there was at least four called in the uh, first game of the day that I watched, one called in the Bama-Tennessee game, and I think one called, two in the Michigan-Minnesota game. Isaiah, like we said, though, man, I'm glad that there is a rule about this in college football. However, though, man, some of these calls that have been made, though, that have, that have had guys get tossed in the game, though, if you're getting Gus Johnson upset in the broadcast booth about maybe a questionable call, you might have a problem on your hands, though. Isaiah, what do you make about the amount of targeting calls that we have seen, maybe more so today or perhaps over the course of this season? Again, I personally love the rule, though. But at the same time, though, it's a kind of a bit of a confusing rule, though, at the same time. What do you got? I'm glad that uh, when they call targeting, they have to replay it because if there wasn't replay, then you would have guys getting tossed left and right because I just feel like, listen, I love the fact that the referees are protecting the players when it comes to uh, head trauma. I love that. But sometimes the referees, they get trigger happy when they see like accidental contact contact like today i saw um iowa state oklahoma state you know the the quarterback for oklahoma state he's running and he's uh he dives forward right he dives forward and i guess the um the the iowa state defender he was trying to dive forward as well to try to um touch him and you know make him down and his head accidentally made contact with the Oklahoma State football player or the quarterback's head and they called that targeting and I was like dude it was accidental contact it wasn't like the guy was you know purposely lowering his head to try to knock that guy out it wasn't like that one bit so I'm glad that they uh have replay when they call targeting because if they didn't have replay gosh know how many people will be ejected just for an accidental contact Absolutely. You know, I, for one, again, Isaiah, I think it's just more so in wake, though, of both college and the NFL trying their damnedest to kind of cut down on those big collisions. 
At the same time, though, man, a, a lot of these, though, and again, though, Isaiah, I think I think you're right, though. I'm glad they're able to review them because, I mean, if you're going to be calling targeting every so often, there ain't going to be no one left on defense. I think Nebraska lost two or three of their key guys because of targeting in their game today. Uh, with that in mind, Isaiah, more great comments from our buddy Austin Morrison. He says, OSU alum here, and I agree with you both. Nebraska did play pretty well today. And so this definitely comes down to securing the football against good teams. And also Austin also agrees uh, with targeting. He says, fellas, there needs to be two categories in regards to the targeting rule. Austin, if you have a bit of a better explanation about those rules, put them in the box. We'll read them off and we'll kind of uh, pick and choose what we like. But I think Isaiah that Austin might be onto a very valid point, though. There needs to be I don't they have like three set standards for what targeting is supposed like what they could call targeting for. But I think that Austin is right though, Isaiah. There needs to be like a bit more like clarification about what actually they are going to be reviewing or maybe why they're being thrown out of the game. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree with it because like as I mentioned with the Oklahoma State Iowa State game, like that was accidental contact and I just think sometimes the referees whenever they see head another person's head hit another person's head they just automatically take that flag out and just toss it because they think it's targeting so I think the referees and I think everybody everybody in general when it comes to college football needs to get a clarification on what is targeting exactly yeah definitely agree Angel also agrees as well Isaiah uh, he says, well, fellas, half the time targeting is accidental. A touch to the helmet could get you ejected. And I honestly, in some of the games I saw, though, Angel, I'm right there with you because, I mean, there was one pretty, there was one blatant one in the lengthy Wyoming-Nevada-Reno game I was watching on CBS Sports Network that was pretty much guy caught the ball coming down and then just got absolutely plastered shoulder to the head. They threw him out of the game right away and they reviewed it, though. But, Angel, I agree, though. Uh, with that in mind, Isaiah, we'll go back to you to add more about the targeting rule in college football. Um, I just think, like, for 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 the targeting rule, like, I, I'm glad it's in place, but I like I, I like that rule, but I just think sometimes the refs they just get too trigger happy. That's Same. that's what is at the end of it. Yeah, no, I I think a lot of people agree that are college football fans, but again, folks, in the first game. Of note, again, the Buckeyes over the Huskers, 52-17 from the shoe in Columbus. Next game, Isaiah, SEC matchup, Alabama and Tennessee. And once again, it's Alabama rolling all over the balls from Neyland Stadium today, 48-17, though. However, Isaiah will go to you, though, man. But with that, Isaiah, go in for Bama. But sadly, man, a big-time costly injury. What do you got for us? Callan, I probably wouldn't. Uh, be able to tell you much about this game because I honestly didn't watch like watch most of it except probably the like three minutes before halftime because this game was just like it was a blowout before halftime I think Alabama had a 35 to 10 lead uh, at halftime in this game so I was like why am I going to waste my time and energy watching this game when it's pretty much decided in the first half and and like watch another game instead so I, I didn't really watch this game I'm sorry I, like I don't really have that much to tell you about this game but hey Jalen Waddle um, if you're listening, man, uh, not I. We're praying that you have a speedy recovery from that injury. That injury uh, did not look good whatsoever uh, in this game. When I first saw it, I thought that he had hurt his spine because you saw that he like he gets tackled right, and his like back starts 
flying like he starts flying uh from his back his back bent sideways in the air so i thought he hurt his back at that time that's why i was like oh crap uh he probably sustained a spine injury and then that, that's why he was taken by ambulance but then i heard um jamie Erdar and Brad Nessler, they were like, you know, it's a, it's an ankle injury. So like, even though like the injury was really bad, I am really glad that it wasn't uh, a spine injury instead of, you know, the ankle. Yeah. All the best. And again, you hate to see guys injured, especially when it's the first play of the game as well. Uh, with that in mind, Isaiah, Austin Morrison actually has his categories for targeting these sound very feasible in my mind, Mr. Morrison. Thanks again, buddy, for writing in. We really appreciate it. Uh, so Isaiah, his breakdown of his rules here for targeting, a category with intent to injure or intent equals ejection, then one category with accidental or normal action of football, first a warning, second time you are going to be tossed from the game. Isaiah, that sounds like a good recipe in my mind. What do you think? Yeah, I like it, man, because, you know, there's some plays or some plays of targeting where the other team, they're losing by a lot. They're frustrated. So they just go for the head like they just go for, you know, the big hits. And, you know, we can't have that in today's age of college football. So I agree that um, if like for those plays that you you're definitely have to be ejected and for the uh, for the ones of accidental contact, I think, you know, it's perfect because you get a warning and then the second if you do it again then it's not really accidental if you know what i mean austin i would i would kind of in a way buddy say that it's that this reminds me bud and again we thank you again dearly for your input it's been very great on the program here the past couple nights or shows i should say but with that austin i would agree though on all this man but it reminds me and i think it's perfect though i really like that accidental or normal action of football because that rule, Austin, reminds me so much of the unsportsmanlike conduct rule. I believe in college in the NFL where if you get two, you're tossed from the game, I think. But one, you get a warning for unsportsmanlike conduct. So I like where you're going, buddy. So again, uh, great to kind of have that input. And also, Angel agrees as well. Everything is back to normal in college football with both Ohio State and Bama winning by 75 points. And Casey agrees. Sorry, fellas, but too many blowouts in college football today. With that, I was able to let you add on to your point. What do you got for us? Callan, I want to respond to uh, Angel's comment real quick about everything being back to normal. It's truly football season. You got Alabama, Ohio State winning big. You got every conference right now except the Pac-12 playing football. Um, you've got the leaves outside uh, turning red and turning brown and falling. The weather right now is like 50 degrees here in Fremont, California. So it's truly football season, man. It is no longer summer, uh, like a, the, that summer feeling right now for me and probably for other people as well. It's definitely football season. Definitely for sure. And again, we thank you folks for the input. Next game, Isaiah came down to overtime and a probable controversial finish in Bloomington, but the Hoosiers upset Penn State in overtime, 36-35. All this in wake, though, Isaiah, of a potentially uh, missed or controversial two-point conversion scored by the Hoosiers to win the game in OT to knock off Penn State in, a, uh, in their first meeting. Isaiah, epic game across the board, though, but I think, though, Isaiah, a lot of people will be talking, though, more so about how this game actually finished, though, with, again, the overtime finish, the touchdown by the Hoosiers. And, again, Isaiah, maybe a potential controversial 
No good two-point conversion for the Hoosiers, but it goes in, though, to, uh, or it's accounted as a good uh, conversion to win the ball game. Isaiah, what do you make, though, about the Hoosiers winning? And more than anything else, though, buddy, knocking off a very good and ranked Penn State program today in Bloomington. Listen, I don't want to take anything away from the Indiana Hoosiers and their win today. It was a tremendous win for Tom Allen and their program. Uh, congratulations on that big-time win. But I think this was more of Penn State looking ahead to next week's game against Ohio State rather than looking to uh, the task at hand, which was Indiana. I, I don't think Penn State came to play uh, in this game. Penn State was flat from the beginning. They uh, they went down, I believe, 17-7. to Their offense didn't really look that good for the first three quarters of this game. They had to rally back, and then they, you know, they just – took a lot of energy having to climb out of that hole that they dug themselves into in the beginning. And then like, they didn't really have any energy to finish off uh, that comeback, but you got to give a lot of credit to Tom Allen and Indiana for this game. This was a fantastic game, man. Uh, it was Penn state took the lead and then Indiana comes right back and score. And then right after Indiana scores, the kicker shanks the kickoff and he kicks it only like 20 yards and gives Penn state the football at midfield. And I'm thinking in my mind, Oh my God, Penn state is going to win this football game because they just need like 20 more yards to kick a field goal and they win this game, but they missed the field goal. And then they go into overtime, uh, Penn state, State, I believe uh, they score. Yeah, they score a touchdown. And then Indiana comes back with an improbable touchdown in the back of the end zone. They score. And then Tom Allen with a tremendous decision to go for two, showing that he has so much guts. He goes for two. The quarterback rolls to his left, sees a wide open lane, uh, makes runs it in, and then gets pushed out and then die like. Like he makes a full on dive for the pylon and like he get uh, the referees say that he gets it and Penn or Indiana ends up winning that game and Penn State loses in an upset. Um, I just think this was more of Penn State not coming to play and looking ahead to Ohio State. And I think that's what doomed them in this ballgame. I would agree that perhaps overlooking the opponent is one thing, though, at the same time, though, an epic finish, though, across the board in this ballgame. At the same time, though, Isaiah, I do think, though, that probably that that the final, that, and again, I don't want to make this all about, you know, this, this game bowling down to a two-point conversion maybe being in, but again, Isaiah, very weird finish, though, I would say, though, because of just seeing the seeing the play kind of in real time and seeing replays of it, I don't know, man, if this really could have been or what really, you know, I, I feel like I'm kind of torn about it because like the pylon got knocked over. I get that and stuff like that. But Isaiah, I mean, do you kind of feel like, though, man, that maybe that maybe that this game is probably going to be looked at by some of those? Maybe perhaps the call was wrong on the field though for that two point conversion counting in your mind. Uh, this, I'm torn about it too, Callan. I think that if I have to say right now, I don't think he got it because I saw something on Twitter. I saw a, a, like a, a, like a picture on Twitter that I forgot who tweeted this out, but it showed the ball being down on the turf an inch short 
of the goal line and like the runner or the quarterback still floating in midair. Once the ball is down on the turf, the play is dead. It's it's done. So I thought that it was really hard to determine on replay because you know you can't you know you you can't really like slow mo and try to replay it like right. like they did. You can't really determine it. You have to freeze it, but they can't freeze it in college football. So I, I just think it was like the call in the field was like that he got it. So I just thought it was going to be too tough to overturn once the referee um, that was manning the the end or like the like yeah the end zone by the pylon he called it um, a good two point conversion. Yeah, I mean it, it's hard to do, especially when it's in the middle. You know, obviously plays going on, pressure situation, of course. Uh, with this being an overtime and so many things riding on the play. But again, it's the Hoosiers knocking off the Nittany, the, uh, Nittany Lions 36-35 in overtime from Bloomington, Indiana. Austin is back. He writes in to say sometimes it can't come down to one play. I'm sure just about all of us would have thought PSU would have uh, have won big. However, though, hats off to IU for the victory. And also Casey agrees he thinks that Penn State IZ will get their butt kicked next weekend by Ohio State. As for Indiana... Um, was Gene Hackman, a.k.a. Norman Dale from Hickory High School, coaching them as he now coaches football, too? <laughs> Laughing out loud, perhaps. Who knows? And still, the fact, that the, the fact that the Pacers wore those uniforms a couple years ago for uniforms was splendid. I love the Hickory High Hoosiers-inspired jerseys. But also, I think, though, that Isaiah would probably would agree, though, with Casey. He thinks so that, the, uh, that the Lions get waxed by uh, the Buckeyes next Saturday in Happy Valley. I hope not. I really hope not because, you know, I want to see Steven, Ryan, and Shree's face and Trevor's face when we, when we have the Halloween spectacular. I want to see their faces when Penn State beats Ohio State. It will be the best moment of the year. I just want that moment. Please, Penn State, bounce back and give me that. Please, man, please. You know how much I hate Ohio State, Kellen. I really want that moment. I'm running out of like places to write down all the teams Isaiah Leung despises. Mine's very, very <laughs> small in case you're curious. The LA Dodgers and the LA Kings are the top two. Then the San Jose Sharks and Giants are up there too. But I don't have like 25,000 teams I despise. I got like maybe four or five on my list. Uh, but Isaiah's got like every single college program, every uh, every team in California, minus the Bay Area, on that list somewhere. But again, it's the Hoosiers winning in uh, overtime, 36-35, over the Nittany Lions tonight from Bloomington, Indiana. Next game, Isaiah, to uh, your point earlier in the show, though, but as mentioned, though, buddy, Michigan and Minnesota, the Wolverines run away from the Golden Gophers and clobber them. 49-24 Wolverines over the Golden Gophers from TCF Bank Stadium tonight out there in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Isaiah, again, more so a game, though, where it was kept close for a bit, though. But again, Michigan's offense took this game over and ran away with it big time. Isaiah, give us your thoughts about Michigan sinking that boat in week, in that, in, uh, week one over the Golden Gophers from Minneapolis today. Well, my thoughts on this game is, well, actually, before I give my thoughts on this, there's something I need to get off my chest. You know, I've been, um, you know, stuffing this down my chest for the past 
a uh, couple of hours and it was something that really really uh, enraged me when I was watching this game and it was a play that uh, Minnesota scored a touchdown on a rushing touchdown uh I believe in the second quarter of that game to make it 21 to 17 Michigan in the second quarter and you know like everybody when you first see it you think it's a touchdown but ABC saw sick or they gave six replay angles showing that the runner was not like that the runner was down before he went he crossed the goal line into the end zone for the touchdown his elbow was down his knee was down his hand was down and the ref it was so clear the ref ends up calling it saying call stands and is a touchdown. I was thinking, like, how is that a touchdown? What are you looking at? ABC had six clear angles, and you still managed to call it a touchdown. So I don't know what on earth those damn referees were looking at because it just makes no sense whatsoever. That should not have been a touchdown. Uh, that should have been first and goal for Michigan or for Minnesota at the two-yard line. So I just had to get that off my chest. But in terms of this game, I, I was wrong about Michigan, man, Callan. I was wrong about Michigan. Callan, do I have permission right now to change my Big Ten pick that I made yesterday saying Ohio State was going to win the Big Ten? Do I have permission to change it? I Because after seeing – I know it's one game, but after seeing what Michigan did, I think their offense is much improved. They ran the ball really well. Their offensive line got a lot of push tonight. Um, and Joe Milton, a, a guy that was unknown coming into this game because this was, this was his first ever start because since he's a true freshman – this guy might be the best quarterback that Jim Harbaugh has had in his entire tenure there in an arbor. This guy has a cannon of an arm. This guy is so elusive when he's running the football. Um, I think that, honestly, he can be Dak Prescott 2.0, and I think he can be a very, very good quarterback. Um, I love what I saw today from Michigan's offense. They put up, what, 50-plus points in – or no, they put up 48 points in this game. 49. It was – yeah, wait, what? 49. 49, right. They put up 49 points in this game. I think that's the most that Michigan has scored under Jim Harbaugh in like the last three years. So it was very, very good to see that Michigan offense uh, performance in this game. But the Michigan defense is what I'm worried about. Michigan always has stout defenses in the Harbaugh era. But today their defense – their run defense was terrible. The Michigan or the Minnesota running backs were running wild all over that Michigan defense. Tanner Morgan, he didn't really do that well, but that I'm worried about Michigan's run defense because if they cannot shore up that run defense, teams like Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State that have great running backs are going to destroy Michigan's defense on the ground. So they got to shore that up if they want to win the Big Ten. Austin Morrison is back. Michigan fans slash lovers always said they're back after winning their first game until they get to the end. Shrugging emoji, go Bucks. I, for one, agree with that, Austin, in regards to, it's kind of been that way more so, like re more recently, uh, Austin, than the past couple years, though. But I do think, though, that for right now, things look good, but let's not get over, you know, ahead of ourselves after one game at the office. I mean, it's still a long way to go here in the season. But again, folks, it is the Wolverines over the Golden Gophers, 49-24 from TCF Bank Stadium on Saturday night.
Next game, Isaiah, Iowa State, Oklahoma State going on. And Oklahoma State kind of surprising some people in the Big 12 this season. A battle of good running backs. It is the Cowboys over the Cyclones 24-21. And the uh, Brock Purdy train derailed after a couple of uh, – after this game by our fellow uh, host on the program. Uh, Isaiah, you know, this was actually billed as, a, billed as a big game, though, because of the two-star running backs – in this game for the Cyclones and for the uh, Cowboys in this ball game, and it boils down though to a very rough day though for your boy play uh, Brock Purdy in this ball game for Iowa State again as the Cowboys win 24-21. Um, Isaiah, more so though, I think it's more in my mind though, <laughs> Oklahoma State kind of being a sleeper team right now in the Big Twelve. They look pretty good right now at this point in time. Of course, a lot of other great schools in the uh, Big Twelve like Texas, of course. And also uh, K, uh, Kansas State playing well, too. Again, they clobbered KU earlier on Saturday. But Oklahoma State, though, man, something about Oklahoma State is kind of in a way like giving off some vibes like maybe a good year for the Cowboys. But give us your thoughts, though, about the Cyclones faltering to the Pokes earlier on Saturday. Callan, do we have to talk about this game? Can we please skip this game, man? I, I, I really... I, I really don't want to talk about this game because I watched it and it was honestly not what I envisioned. You know, Oklahoma State, you got to give their defense credit. I don't think a lot of people um, have noticed Oklahoma State's defense yet because they play in the Big 12 and normally Big 12 defenses suck. But this Oklahoma State defense is for real. They, uh, I think Fox put up a graphic during the game, and it said that Oklahoma State's defense is only giving up nine points. This, like, it, like, yeah, nine points per game this entire year. Like, that's really, really impressive. I get the fact that they've only played like Tulsa, Kansas, um, Louisiana Tech, like teams that you know aren't really powerhouse offensive teams. But still, those those numbers are very, very impressive. They have one of the best defenses in all of college football. And that like that secondary today was really good. Brock Purdy made really good throws in this game, but the cornerbacks and the safeties for Oklahoma State just kept batting, uh, batting, batting the ball down in this game. Uh, you got to give credit to them, man. I was wrong. I know uh, when I'm wrong. I like I know when to admit it. Uh, I was wrong in this situation. Oklahoma's d d uh, state. <laughs> Listen, Oklahoma State's defense was really, really good today, but. I got to question the play calling of Matt Campbell. You know, Matt Campbell kind of turned into a conservative version of Kyle Shanahan in this game. You know, you have good. <laughs> wow. Iowa State has good receivers and great tight ends on the outside that are matchup nightmares. But instead, Matt Campbell decided for the most part of this game to just stick with the running game. I get that Brees Hall, the running back, is a beast. He's going to be a first-round pick when he comes out uh, for the NFL draft. He's really, really special. But, dude you got to pass the ball more, man. you got to air it out more and let your star quarterback 
air it out instead of airing like air it out like 50, 60 times instead of throwing the ball just like 30 times. That's why Brock Purdy struggled in this game because he couldn't get into a rhythm uh, during this ball game. Yeah, and you can't rely on your quarterback to throw the ball 50, you know, 40, 50, 60 times in a game. You got to rely on the running game too. But again, the Pokes beat the Cyclones 24-21 on Saturday, uh, of course. And with that, Isaiah, one final game, though, close to your heart, though, with your uh, University of Hawaii Rainbow Warriors facing off with Martin Garcia's Fresno State Bulldogs. And U of H runs away with this ball game over the Bulldogs. 34-19 rainbows over the Bulldogs from Fresno, California to kick off the Mountain West call, uh, Conference season schedule here on this Saturday. Um, Isaiah, of course, I believe that there's a rivalry of some type between the Rainbow Warriors and the Bulldogs from the WAC days, of course, where they would join the Mountain West. Uh, Isaiah, we'll let you uh, have the floor to talk about your uh, hometown ball club back in Honolulu and how they looked against the Bulldogs in week one of the Mountain West season. If you guys haven't heard of Chevin Cordero, go search him up right now and start taking notice of this guy. Chevin Cordero, the quarterback of Hawaii, he's a junior. He is very, very special. This guy is extremely elusive with his legs. He's super fast. He's a guy that has a terrific arm. I believe he backed up Tua Tungo-Vailoa when Tua was in high school at St. Louis High School in Hawaii. This guy is going to be a special quarterback. He's a special player. Start, start taking notice of this guy people um i was really impressed with chevin cordero he was ripping apart fresno state with his legs he was ripping apart fresno state with his arm and most importantly i was very impressed with hawaii's defense Callan, i i'm sure you know it know this hawaii's uh, when Hawaii plays football, they're not known for being a defensive team. They're known for like scoring 40, 50 points on people and Absolutely. beating teams. Yeah, they're known for beating teams in a shootout. But Hawaii's defense recorded three interceptions. They recorded three-plus sacks. Todd Graham, their new head coach, his first game coaching the Rainbow Warriors, he came in. He's instilled a defensive uh, identity in this ball club and that defense under Todd Graham they are way way better than they were last season I think that now with um, Hawaii's offense being what they normally are and that defense being act being actually good for the first time in like 10 years I think Hawaii's got a legit shot at the Mountain West title you know, that's going to be a pretty big uphill battle, Isaiah, with how San Diego State University of Carson, California, played in their first game. Of course, Boise State, Nevada, Reno somehow won a very thrilling game over Wyoming in Reno on Saturday, Saturday night, though. But Hawaii, though, like you said, though, Isaiah, they've always been an offensive-driven ball club. They've always been that way for the longest time that I can recall them in the in the WAC or in the Mountain West. And, of course, they put up 34 points on Fresno. Uh, on Fresno. And, oh, by the way, Isaiah – Congratulations with you winning. You win a golden screwdriver. Congratulations. <laughs> Probably one of the most dumbest college football uh, rivalry trophies next to the oil can that SDSU and Fresno State play for in the Mountain West Conference. Unbelievable. The milk jug. No, I, I would, I'd rather have a, a, a milk jug over a golden screwdriver. Give me a break. <laughs> I, I know that college football has some weird, you know, weird things, but a screwdriver. I'd rather have Paul Bunyan's axe when the Badgers beat the Gophers 
or the Cal-Stanford game for the Axe or anything but a screwdriver. Please, let's get something else out there on this juncture. Angel writes and he says, let's just call the game the Screw Bowl. <laughs> Can we have like Stanley sponsor it, Milwaukee screwdriver or like Milwaukee parts or uh, Craftsman sponsor it or the Home Depot sponsor it? <laughs> it's and better then, than the potato bowl, Callan. The potato oh, bowl, you gosh. win it and you get a bunch of potatoes. Eh, then again, though, you have the orange bowl full of oranges or the rose bowl, you get roses. Still, yeah. Uh, I take though I take that over a damn screwdriver where I can just go grab one and paint it gold for my house. And Angel agrees. SDSU football is back, sort of. Yeah, go Toreros. Sorry, <laughs> can't do it. Cannot do it, especially when you're playing in in Carson, California, where the former football team went to. And by the way, I do have to say real quick: How in the world can SDSU? not cover up the LA Galaxy branding. I mean, you could have like not brought the giant SDSU tarps you had underneath the scoreboard at the stadium in San Diego to cover up the LA Galaxy branding in the one part of the end zone where Victoria Block and the Angel City Brigade stand for soccer matches. So bad. I mean, they were trying so hard to, to I, I literally, they were trying folks, their damnest on CBS Sports number two, not show the LA Galaxy ward mark on the wall because this is a soccer team that they're playing in for 30,000 people. Again, no one there. Minus, I think the band was actually there to play the fight song. They would score touchdowns, but still, they, they tried so hard, Isaiah, to try their best to zoom in and up to block out the Galaxy uh, uh, branding for Major League Soccer. Espen agrees. Wow. Love drinking the screwdriver. A wedding favorite in Pennsylvania. And Angel agrees the screw bowl, uh, the screw bowl screw, screwed by the Home Depot, I think is what he is getting at. But again, it is Hawaii winning over the Fresno State Bulldogs. Isaiah, what else you got for us? Callan, I need to go to the college football committee and pardon them for a pina colada bowl. Give me that. I would not mind winning a game and celebrating with a hundred it would be the best thing on earth, man. No, we're not doing it. They should just make the whole. They should just make the Hawaii Bowl trophy a giant drink out of a pineapple, for heaven's sakes! But come on, a, a, a screwdriver, a screwdriver. Give me a. Come on, man. You and you and Martin got to work out a better trophy for your rivalry between the uh, the Rainbow Warriors and the Bulldogs. Angel also writes in, I wanted to see SDSU for curiosity, but don't have CBSN. Eh, I mean, literally, Angel, all they did was stent was like they didn't even paint all the way in. They literally stenciled the Mountain West Conference logo at the 30-yard line and stenciled in the Aztec word marks. But on that, it looked like it was, but it literally looked like you were still watching the Galaxy play a soccer match. They had all the Galaxy branding still visible, even in the uh, supporters section behind sections 121, 120, and 119, still up there, the giant LA Galaxy or the giant LA of their shield uh, with the uh, the star was still visible uh, on the walls of the, it's still. It, it's, it's, I know it's temporary, but you could at least try to give yourself some type of a home field advantage, but at the same time, you still could see all of the, you know, the, the Galaxy branding, all of the Galaxy championships you know championships up on the uh the one side of the stadium and all the retired names and stuff so 
I know it's only temporary, but at the same time, do better to make it like your own stadium, at least, please, for heaven's sakes. Um, also, Espen says, definitely got to stay away from the Corona Bowl. <laughs> definitely agree. And also, as well, Angel says, we just uh, we just have college football games either for a Ford Pinto or a or a pair of old shoes. <laughs> I mean, we literally have the we literally have STSU playing Fresno State for a oil can from nineteen twenty five. Why? <laughs> Give me something better than that, please. I, I, I still would take the oil can though over a screwdriver. Sorry, Mister Leong, but it cannot deal with a screwdriver. I'll take an axe. I'll take a milk jug. I'll take anything but a screwdriver for a college football rivalry. With that, Isaiah, some very cool but also somewhat depressing news. If you're a UFC fan out there, of course, our man Furman Lee talked about this fight. Of course, UFC 254 from Abu Dhabi, AK Fight Island, earlier on Saturday morning and afternoon. But of course, Isaiah Khabib wins the fight in round number two with a, with a submission. But of course, Isaiah... Morseman again plagued by a lot of uh, hardship. Again, with uh, hardship with his father, uh, father sadly passing away earlier. Bashir Khabib wins the fight, and then of course, man announces his plans to retire after said fight. He left his gloves in the middle of the ring, much like we've seen with the Undertaker in pro wrestling or other uh, athletes who have retired, though. But Isaiah, I kind of get Khabib's vibes here, or get kind of get his, you know, get his feelings here, Isaiah. Because I remember this well when Tony Gwynn Sr. passed away in 2014 and Tony Gwynn Jr. was never the same. He was still playing for the Phillies at the time. I remember they came to San Diego about two months after his dad passed away. He let off the ball game and got a rousing, rousing, loud ovation from his hometown fans here in San Diego. But after that year, though, Isaiah, he retired from playing the game because, like, my dad's not here to help me out or he's not here to see my journey. Why should I continue? And I kind of get those vibes, Isaiah, with Khabib, you know, that he wins, though. But it's like, why should I move on or keep pursuing my career in MMA when my old man is not here to either help me to help coach me, help me along the way, though? So I kind of get those vibes, Isaiah. But give us your thoughts, though, man, kind of briefly. I know we don't watch a lot of UFC or talk about it here, Isaiah. But your thoughts, though, Isaiah, about seeing Khabib go out on top, though, but again, though, in, the, in a way, though, man, saying, you know what, hey, enough's enough with my dad being gone, though. Listen, I got to give Khabib Nurmagomedov a lot of credit, man. This guy is probably one of the best mixed martial artists we have ever seen in our lives. This guy, every time he fought, he dominated the fight. There was no decision. Well, there probably was a decision when it came to his fights, but when it came to the decision, it was always an easy decision and an easy win for Khabib Nurmagomedov. This guy dominated uh, every opponent that he faced. He dominated Conor McGregor. He got Conor McGregor to tap out in the third round. And now in uh, the second round, in a very highly anticipated fight, he gets Justin Gagey, who is a tremendous, M a tremendous MMA fighter to tap out um, and submit. So, Kudos to Khabib Nurmagomedov on a fantastic career. We will never see another Khabib Nurmagomedov again. And I really understand why Khabib uh, retired after this fight because he was very close with his father. His father was the one that taught him um, like, how to, like how to fight. He taught him all the moves that Khabib has now. He taught him all the defensive moves that Khabib has now. Uh, he was Khabib's trainer from the day that he picked up fighting to 
the uh, to right now. So Khabib has never fought until today without his father besides him as a trainer. And he said um, in his final interview that I can't go on without my father training uh, training me. So that's why I am retire retiring. I understand it 100%. Um, kudos to Khabib, man. And I really wish him a happy retirement. I'm kind of, you know, sad that he's gone from the sport because I love to see greatness uh, in every sport that I watch. But this guy dominated, man. I guarantee you, we, like in 10 years, we will see a mantle in the UFC Hall of Fame uh, of Khabib Nurmagomedov. Absolutely agree, you know, and uh, I think a lot of people agree, though, in regards to it. I have some comments here. Angel agrees with me about the uh, Aztecs being super lazy at their temporary home for the season. He says, that's just lazy. I was expecting to see an, at least SDSU's logo at, at midfield. I mean, they literally just stenciled in the Mountain West Conference logo and the team ward marks in the end zone. But other than that, Angel, I don't know if it's because the Galaxy are still in season or what's going on, though, but it's a very lackluster job by both by both the uh, school and by uh, the uh, Galaxy for at least not covering up their branding as if San Diego has to deal with enough L.A. nonsense as is right now with the Dodgers still in the World Series and things like that. Also, Espen agrees about uh, Tony Wynn Jr. and Sr. Uh, he says, absolutely true, uh, so true and very sad. Austin Morrison agrees. Khabib is the baddest man on the planet. And Angel also agrees, though, and also said, let's not forget, though, fellas, too, that MJ – did the same thing after his dad passed away, too, where, again, he left uh, basketball for a bit after his dad had passed away. With that, Isaiah, week number seven of the NFL season on the horizon comes Sunday. Plenty of action. And, of course, uh, saw, uh, saw a very great game on Thursday between, again, at the time, two bad ball clubs. But again, a very great game, though, down to the final play, pretty much, of the ball game. And, of course, a great game on Monday Night Football coming up and also great games, too, on Sunday. With that, Isaiah, give us maybe the one or two games you're probably watching closely come Sunday or the upcoming week here of NFL football. Um, I've got three games that I'm watching. Number one, it's it's part of the early game slate. It is the Washington football team hosting the Dallas Cowboys. I'm intrigued by this game because I want to see how the Dallas Cowboy defense, that poorest Dallas Cowboy defense, how they do against a Washington football team offense who has been one of the worst offenses in the NFL. It is worst defense versus worst offense. Something has got to give in that game. So I'm really interested to see how that game unfolds. The second game, uh, it's got to be my 49ers against the New England Patriots in Foxborough. The game starts at 425 p.m. on the East Coast, 125 on the West Coast in New England on CBS tomorrow not, or tomorrow afternoon. Um, this game features two coaches the, at the best of what they do. Bill Belichick, the best defensive mind of all time. Kyle Shanahan for the 49ers, the, one of the best offensive minds right now in the NFL. It's going to be a great chess match between those two coaches. And also, you've got Jimmy Garoppolo facing his former team for the first time since the New England Patriots traded him back in 2017 back in 2017 there's just a lot of storylines with this game and this game i think it's going to be a pick em type of game because you got the patriots offense who hasn't really been that good this season i know they got cam newton but the patriots like if they if they're not having success running the football then 
like they don't really have success on offense because they, their passing game has been really inconsistent versus the 49ers defense that has just has been shellacked by injuries all year long. Uh, they put up a good performance last week against the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday Night Football. They are getting healthier. I want to see how that defense holds up against a not-so-good New England offense and also the same on the other side of the ball 49ers offense not really that good really inconsistent against the Patriots defense that is very very good I want to see how this game unfolds and last but not least Callan I think you probably know where I'm going with this uh, next game it is the Kansas City Chiefs at the Denver Broncos <laughs> I'm pretty sure you guys know by now who I'm picking. Uh, if you guys don't know, who there's a whole post on my Facebook about who I'm picking. But the reason why I'm intrigued by this game, it's not because like it's a measuring stick for Denver or, or I want to see my guy Drew Locke ball out. It has nothing to do with it. I'm intrigued by this game because this is going to be the first game of this NFL season where there's going to be heavy Snow. I think everybody loves a snow game in the NFL. Uh, I'm going to go with a few of my games here. Uh, with that, again, folks, by the way, some schedule notes here, though, but a couple of the games have been, in fact, moved, folks, again, due to COVID concerns, the mo more so Tampa Bay and Vegas were moved out of prime time, again, due to uh, COVID concerns with the uh, Raiders and their uh, entire offensive line. Uh, the first game I'm going to pick, though, uh, is actually going to be the new primetime game on Sunday, which is going to be uh, Seattle and Arizona is on my radar right now with this game because, uh, for one, it is, for it, it, for, first and foremost, it is a uh, Arizona ball club coming off of a amazing uh, performance against the Cowboys, 38-10 last Monday night in Arlington. Against a uh, Seahawks team coming off of a bye week at five and zero though, but as well though should mention that Russell Wilson is in fact six one and one in his career versus Arizona on the road in his career. But it should be a great game though, and it will be great though. I think as a uh, as I said as Isaiah said though about measuring sticks though, good measuring stick game here for the Cardinals facing a very good and right now unbeaten uh, Arizona ball uh, Seattle ball club I should say. Also Austin Morrison has the game I was also going to say as well. Pittsburgh and Tennessee, the battle of the few unbeaten teams left in the entire NFL is also one that I'm going to be watching closely again. More so, like I said, though, Austin, last week, I think it comes down to the running game, perhaps being a uh, factor. Again, Derrick Henry's looked phenomenal so far for Tennessee. And also Ryan Tannehill has looked very good so far for Tennessee as well. But also I'll go with the obvious choice, though, the homer pick of the Bears at the Rams on Monday Night Football. For one, first, bear game, uh, first, bear, uh, first Bears game I'm going to see on TV this year. But also, how will the Bears play against a very good Rams defense? Again, who's been very good. And also, that the Rams are 14-4 and four at home since going back to L.A. since 2018. So I think, Isaiah, a couple of measuring stick games. More so is what I picked in, of course, that very good game between Pittsburgh and um, Tennessee. But what else you got for us for Week 7 of the NFL season? Callan, I'm very stunned that you didn't pick the game of the week, the Chargers at the Jaguars. I mean, who doesn't want to see that matchup? Well, first of all, it's Jacksonville at the Chargers, not in Jacksonville. It's in Los Angeles. 
I did pick the Chargers because I think that Herbert is due to win a ball game, and I think it's between two very dreadful quarterbacks. At least one of them, though, has promised. The other one has gone down the gutter already, so I'm going with the Chargers in that ball game. But it's got to be Chicago playing uh, the Rams on Monday Night Football because, again, the for the Bears at least, again, probably, like I said, though, the biggest pretenders in the NFL right now at 5-1, and one, this is going to be a good measuring stick game for this offense. And, again, Nick Foles versus a very good very scary Rams defense in my mind, but also a team, though, in the Rams. As I said, though, since 2018 is 10 games over 500 at home, whether it's the Coliseum or now SoFi Stadium. So it's going to be a very great game come Monday Night Football when that, in fact, rolls around at 515 on ESPN. Uh, some other thoughts. Angel's going to go with his Niners um, playing or uh, winning over New England. And also he says, uh, Callan, I'm actually surprised. But last week, but the famed Lee Hacksaw Hamilton on KUSI Channel 9 down in San Diego uh, did a segment on the uh, Aztecs playing up in Carson and that they actually had the logo on the scoreboard and on the digital video boards. Angel, they do have that, but nothing else on the field to really solidify that this is a home game of some sorts for the Aztecs. Again, it's a very piss poor job, if you ask me, done by both the school, SDSU, and by the uh, LA Galaxy for again not really uh, doing a lot enough to either cover up uh, to cover up their branding or in a way let the Aztecs do their own branding on that field up in Carson. But hey, what do you expect from a franchise like the LA Galaxy? Am I right? Pretty much. With that in mind, folks, and I'll move on into tonight's final thoughts. All right, folks, time to close down shop on this Saturday. Again, a plenty of college football. Again, a very loony finish to the World Series in Game 4. And, of course, previewing NFL Week 7. Isaiah, we'll go to you for your final thoughts for tonight's show. All right, before I get into my final thoughts, um, I want to thank uh, Angel, Austin, uh, Espen. Uh, let's see. Casey King, sorry about your Dodgers, Casey. Uh, I hope they do, in fact, bounce back in Game 5. Um, Chardot and Vic, and that's that's pretty much it. But I want to thank you guys for tuning into the show tonight and, you know, commenting and interacting with, with us. You guys are the best. Uh, we are nothing without your guys' love and support. So thank you guys so much for always tuning in and always interacting with our show. Um, I also want to thank Xfinity for, you know, holding up on the internet side uh, and not letting the, or my stream crash for the last 50 minutes of the show. You Thank you guys so much. I really, really appreciate that. And, you know, Callan, for my final thoughts, as I mentioned in the beginning, I was teasing a bunch of surprises, right? I was teasing a bunch of surprises. I gave one surprise th thus far. But ladies and gentlemen, here is the other surprise. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you, and I haven't told Callan this as well, but Callan, you might want to take a look at this, by the way. But look what came in the mail today. Look at that. Slam Diego. I got this shirt off uh, online, actually, 
from one of the San Diego vendors. I vowed when I went down to San Diego a couple of uh, or a month ago that I was going to get a Slam Diego shirt. And here it is. It finally arrived in the mail. I can't wait to rock it on the, sh uh, on the show. It looks super nice, man. Um, yeah, it looks really, really nice. I am I can't wait to be part of the Slam Diego Padres fan base. And last but not least, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you guys keep tuning into the night shift because me and Callan have some new segments planned for you that we are going to reveal in the coming weeks and months. We've talked about it. Uh, they're like they're being worked out right now. So make sure you guys tune in. Uh, for that, and also tune in for our Halloween Spooktacular, which we will have next Saturday night. Um, I believe it's after the Ohio State-Penn State game. Correct me if I'm wrong, Callan, on that. That is correct. All right. It's going to be after the Ohio State-Penn State game. Me, Steven, Callan, Ryan, Furman, Martin, and John Mathis and our entire network will be dressing up in our Halloween costumes and sitting down at the round table, eating some candy, eating some uh, pumpkin muffins, drinking some pumpkin spice cocoa, and we will be talking sports on Halloween night next Saturday. Please tune in for that. You won't want to miss it. It's going to be fun, folks. It's going to be fun. Again, they'll be following the Penn State-Ohio State football game next Saturday. Uh, when they finish up their game on Fox uh, in your local market. Of course, folks, a major thank you again to all you folks for tuning in. But as a reminder, Halloween Spectacular next Saturday, October 31st, back here on the 6th. And the entire crew, hopefully, will join us, including our good buddy Martin Garcia up in Fresno, California. But again, to Casey, Angel, Espen, and the rest of the commenters, Ken Austin, Morrison, man, some great stuff, buddy. Thanks for again tuning in and for keeping us going here. As we had mentioned again, uh, Isaiah again plagued with technical problems throughout the course of the show here today. But again, folks, that is all of the uh, commenters. And again, we thank you all very much for, again, joining us here tonight. And again, folks, as one more uh, one more reminder, but again, the Halloween Spectacular is on the menu next Saturday. Again, that'll be following the conclusion of the Penn State, Ohio State football game. Again, with myself, Isaiah, John Mathis, uh, everybody. It's going to be fun to, again, uh, be a part of it. And again, maybe tell some spooky stories and, again, more so hang out and enjoy ourselves on Halloween night. With that, though, folks, for the entire cast and crew here on the uh, MI6 Sports Network, and, of course, for our buddy Isaiah Leung for, again, staying up late with us, this is Cal McClurg saying goodnight from San Diego. Take care, folks. Have a great rest of your night. Take care. Stay safe and stay healthy. So long. Sayonara. Farewell. We are out of here. Till tomorrow night, folks, have a good night. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>